back to Area 51 and a Half, where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. I am your host, John Allen, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Snyderman501, Nick Snyder. Snyderman501, Nick Snyder, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the area 51 h You can find us on Facebook by searching for the area 51 and a half, and we are available wherever you find your favorite podcast. Wherever podcasts are sold. Do not forget to like, share, and subscribe. If you like us, if you don't like us, please do both whatever (laughs) and if you don't like us we don't want to hear about it and john just before we get started today i do want to give a big shout out to my friend sarah she has started a new podcast based around the 80s television show remington steel you can find it by looking up steel watch on spotify wow remington steel that takes me back my grandmother used to watch remington steel starred uh pierce brosnan yeah yeah it does star pierce brosnan i think that was like his like first big thing that he did so once again that is steel watch on spotify with sarah and eric so nick there's something that's really just kind of ticking me off and it has to do with the streaming services oh, yeah. how they're going to now charge you more if you don't want commercials Ugh, yeah like, i'm already paying for you i'm already paying you money the whole premise of the whole streaming was not to be interrupted by commercials I do not like having my movies or shows interrupted by commercials unless I'm basically watching broadcast television. Well, there's the thing, right? Like, you have this model that they have where you're paying and you don't have to see advertisements. But here's the thing. If you're paying Netflix and then advertisers are paying to advertise on Netflix then Netflix is essentially double dipping, and I don't think that's fair. Well, what's even worse, though, is that here's the thing. Like I said, I do not like to have my movies interrupted. If I'm going to have my movies interrupted by a commercial, I'm not paying you for that. I can do that by watching it on television, or I can do it on Tubi. I don't mind Tubi. It's free. So you're going to throw in a few commercials to pay for it? Fine. Because what they do on Tubi TV is they don't take part of the movie out in order Mm -hmm. to accommodate the commercial. Yeah, because there's no time limit, right? Right. So I don't mind that. I can live with that because it's free. Right. And I, like I said, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair that these companies should are able to double dip like this. It's either a case of, you have adver- you have advertisements and it's free, or we pay for without advertisements. Listen, I did the count. Tubi has, I, I I'm I'm guesstimating here based on each category having about two hundred movies in per category. Yes, some of them overlap, but they have about a thousand or more things that you can choose from. If you cannot find something to watch on Tubi for free then I don't know what to tell you. So I'm sorry, companies, if you're going to do this two-tiered thing where you want me to pay more because I'm not supposed to have commercials, I'm just going to watch Tubi. Well, and there's the thing. In the States, you got Peacock, and they have a free model where you get it and they have advertisements, or you pay and there's no advertisements. Like, that seems like a reasonable thing. And this is the thing. What Netflix is proposing to me as the consumer, as the person that is purchasing my monthly subscription with netflix does not seem reasonable no and and you know but here we are and now we're going to talk about things that we've seen on streaming (laughs) 
Indeed. Starting with She-Hulk. She-Hulk. So She-Hulk was released on Thursday. Stars Tatiana Maslany, who most people know from Orphan Black as She-Hulk. And, of course, uh, Mark Ruffalo was guest starring as the Hulk slash Bruce Banner in this episode as well. And what an excellent introduction. It was, to me, it was a really good, really funny way to bring this show into into light. I really enjoyed it. What did you think? I liked it, too. The comedy was spot on. I, I thought that... Um... You know, in terms of getting the story rolling, they they didn't hold back. They they got it going there immediately because they knew we wanted to see her turn into She Hulk as yep. fast as possible. It wouldn't have made sense, I think, as some um, stories do, where they do that whole first episode of getting to know the character, and then at the end, boom, she yeah. turns into the She Hulk. Yeah, and that was that's kind of it. Is that we really get to see her both in Jennifer mode and in She Hulk mode. Uh, pretty pretty equally throughout the the episode, really. Yeah, and it was a it was a good introduction. Well, I'm anxious to see where the series goes. So the next thing, Nick, is that the trailer for Wednesday, the Tim Burton Adams Family Project, has dropped. We have seen it. Yep. What do you think? Well, um, I'm going to be very honest with you. I was I was really sour on the project to begin with, but after seeing the trailer, I'm in. It looks good. Um, Jenna Ortega looks good as Wednesday. As far as I'm concerned, the girl can't do wrong. So, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> and you know what? I've always loved Catherine Zeta-Jones, and I think she just looks spectacular as Morticia. She does. She does. She's got the look. She's got the, the voice. She's got this the statuesque um, frame to basically be playing her, if you will. She's got the look. She has the look, like the perfect look for Morticia. Yeah. So now, now I know a lot of people are kind of down on Louise Guzman playing Gomez, but if you really look at it, Louise Guzman looks like Charles Adams iteration of Gomez, right? Like lifted kind of right from the comics, if you will. I, I will give you that. He really does. And he even does like, there's one still photo of him doing that very toothy smile that the old cartoon strip had with Gomez. Yeah, and originally appearing in The New Yorker back in the 1930s or 40s, I want yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah, it goes back that far. Yeah, it goes back quite a ways. Yeah, around 84 years old, which is really impressive for a lot of pop culture um, properties to have that kind of staying power. Yeah, and you know, I'm really looking forward to it because the fact that it is 84 years old means that within the next 20 years we will see the 100th anniversary of the Adams Family. And that is so cool. You know, and from television shows to movies to uh, pop culture toys and games and all kinds of things, I don't think the Adams Family is going anywhere soon. No, I don't think so either. Now, I do want to address one thing that people, because I, Nick, I, I, I feel like I have some reason that I can consider myself an Adams Family authority. What would that reason be? Oh, uh, well, you played Gomez on stage. I did. I played Gomez in a musical production of the Adams Family musical. So I've done a lot of research into the Adams Family. So a lot of people are kind of not happy with certain aspects of it. But let me tell you something. In doing my research, I have seen a Japanese production of the Adams Family. I've seen an Australian production. I've seen a German production. And let me tell you something about the German production. It looked scary. I mean, they were quite happy to put the fear back into it. So my point being, and I don't want to dwell on this, 
is the Adams Family can be whatever you want them to be. Let people play them. Let people have fun with them. Just enjoy the story because it speaks to that darker side that we all have. And, you know, you made the point with the Munsters. How do we expect these franchises, these properties to continue on if we don't see revitalization? Exactly. Uh, Nick, this sort of brings us, since we're on the morose topic of the Adams Family, Another sort of sad thing that we have to talk about is the passing of Anne Heche yeah, and Olivia Newton-John. That was a serious double whammy, and it happened in fairly quick succession. Like, I was not expecting that, you know? Well, and but that's kind of the problem. Like, we really sort of knew that Olivia Newton-John had been struggling with cancer, but we didn't know that she was in a stage where it was going to become terminal. So that kind of hit us all as a shock. Our beloved Sandra D from the movie Grease, mm-hmm. uh, gone, uh, and we're still hopelessly devoted to her. And then with Anne Heche, uh, she was in a really bad car accident and died a couple days later in the hospital, which is just, that's just sad. Yeah, that is be- literally out of nowhere. It's completely unexpected when something like that happens. It is. So what's really great is that both of these women have left us with some wonderful movies, and particularly with Olivia Newton-John, some wonderful music. It's very sad, and there's no easy segue for this. However, it is time for Nick's Roundup! So we're going to start the roundup this week with a little bit of interesting video game news. There is a game coming out called Squirrel with a Gun. And John, John, let me, John, do you want to know what the premise of this game is? Let me guess. Is it about a squirrel with a gun? It is indeed about a squirrel with a gun. So the idea is you play as a regular run-of-the-mill squirrel, the type of squirrel that you would see just in the park, (laughs) except you have a gun and you can rob people. (laughs) Everything I see of it reminds me, like the absurdity of it reminds me of the goat game. Oh yeah, I yeah. love that Go Go Simulator. I love that game, but yeah, this it looks ridiculous and funny, and I can't wait to play it. I, dude, when you get that, you have to invite me over. We'll get junk food. I am, I, I so want to play that. It looks so ridiculous. Now, John, we got an announcement earlier uh, this week that there would be a new Saw movie coming out. Why? Ugh. Okay. I completely agree with your sentiment there. Honestly, Spiral was a disappointment. It was fine, but it was disappointing. And the series has just not been good since really the first one. The The first one was spectacular because you had that really great twist ending that nobody saw coming. Oh, you're hilarious. But like, and that's the thing is the first one was very good. It had that twist ending. You didn't know. It was kind of a new, um, idea because you didn't know how this movie was going to go you yeah didn't it was know... fresh it was new it was brilliantly written it was dark it was something we hadn't seen before but every single movie afterwards was just a rehash of the first one because it made so much money exactly is it possible that we're going to see something new and fresh from this new saw movie maybe but i'm not holding out hope now is it a sequel is it a reboot oh we have no idea we have no idea it's just been announced at this point so they're just going to do a saw movie they are going to do a saw movie it might be a continuation of spiral i don't know but we'll see what happens all right here is a tag team you never expected john britney spears and elton john are doing a duet together 
And I find that really exciting. One, Britney Spears has had a rough decade, let's say. So seeing her return to music is kind of cool. And seeing her work with Elton John is fantastic because Elton John is just magical. You know, that's really kind of interesting because when Lady Gaga teamed up with Tony Bennett, that seemed really logical. When Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers teamed up, that seemed logical. This seems like an episode of The Twilight Zone. I can kind of get what you're what, what you're saying there, but at the end of the day, I mean, Elton John's going to do what Elton John wants to do. So. Well, yeah, I mean, he can at this point. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, and finally, we're going to touch on some marriage news. Now, we don't normally cover that type of thing, but this is this is just something that we couldn't resist bringing up because it's funny it is so taylor lautner most people know him from the twilight series shark boy and lava girl of course that as well he's getting married and hey hey, hey, congratulations to him congratulations and his girlfriend's name is well his fiance's name is also taylor now what's her last name you have that taylor dome taylor dome but she will be taking her, his last name, not even hyphenating it, taking his last name, and they will both be Taylor Lautner. So it basically, Taylor Lautner will then be married to Taylor Lautner. Yes. And you know what? Even if she hyphenated her name, that's, that doesn't have a good sound to it, because then it becomes Taylor Lautner Dome. Right? Like, so it's <laughs> like, what, two drag queens enter the Thunderdome, and <laughs> two, one exits. I don't know. It's just like, so... Yeah, that's just a little bit of funny news that came up over the past couple of weeks. Uh, again, congratulations to Taylor Lautner and the future Taylor Lautner. Yep. And the, re- the reason I said that, too, is because RuPaul's always saying that on RuPaul's Drag Race. About oh, two two okay, drag yeah. queens entering the Thunderdome. So. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, marry who you want. You should. Names. Uh, what is a name? And, you know, Rose by any other name would be just as sweet. But, I mean, Taylor Lautner and Taylor Lautner. Introducing the Taylor Lautners. I, it's... It's mind-blowing. It's, it's Double Taylor. Yeah, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing. Uh, Nick, one thing I want to add. If you happen to have around $6,500, give or take, you can actually take a trip to Romania, and you're going to be touring in Romania, seeing all of the great things, Braun Castle, old Romanian villages, uh, the, the places where uh, Elvira's haunted hills were shot, and you will be going with Cassandra Peterson herself. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I just think that's... And the director, of course, will be there as well. And they're going to do a Q&A. And you can get little parting gifts and whatever. She will not be going dressed as Elvira, of course. Of course not. But, I mean, uh, look it up on Elvira's webpage if you happen to have that kind of money and are looking for a really interesting vacation. If I had it, I'd do it. And to our fans, if you want to send us that money, you can email us at... Uh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, ne- never mind sending Nick the money if you want to send me the money to basically trap Cassandra Peterson with me for six days. Great! Um, anyway, Nick, I hate you. Oh, I know you hate me. Actually, this, this is what you get. No, actually, I don't hate you. I do not hate you because none of this is new to me. None of this is new to me. Unlike you with the Star Wars series... I have no illusions. This is not new. I noticed this. I didn't even have to watch the the movie again. Just to bring our aliens up to speed, Nick, what is it that we are doing? Well, on the last episode, I got to rip apart the Star Wars prequels. And on this episode, 
You get to tear into the Halloween movies. Oh, but we don't get to, Nick. We challenged each other to because you are always going on about how great Star Wars is. And I'm looking at those prequel trilogies going, uh, okay, whatever. They are basically a dumpster fire. And I challenged you to look at it through that lens. So, of course, you had to challenge me on something that I absolutely love, which is the Halloween franchise. Yep. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? Now, honestly, there are segments in the Halloween franchise that would have been so easy to tear apart. I agree with you. And before you continue, John, I just want to say, as a precursor, I don't have a problem with the Halloween series the way that John dislikes the the Star Wars prequels. I do love Halloween, but I just wanted to see him squirm a little bit. He basically needed to find something that I loved that I basically had to look at with a critical eye. But like I said, joke's on you. I've been watching this for a long time. I have no illusions. Fair enough. I basically could have done this without watching the movie, but I didn't do that. I did watch the movie. And a quick little shout out to our number one alien, Don, because Don actually helped me steer the ship a little bit through this. Because she's the one that said it would be too easy for you to rip apart, say, Halloween 5 or Halloween Resurrection. She said, you have to do the original Halloween. That's it. Okay. That's it. Just the original John Carpenter one, because most horror fans will agree that Halloween is a masterpiece. It's the first real movie that uh, John Carpenter did. I mean, yes, he did Dark Star, but this is his first like foray into actual movie dumb, and it has solidified him as a master of the genre. So, without any further ado, let's get into it. Now, let's remember that John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were young filmmakers. Like, they're in their 20s. Yeah. You know? So, they're just excited to be doing a movie. And the the embrace that people gave Halloween was probably beyond their, their expectations. And, John, I would agree with you on that. And one of the other things is people really look at this as the first real slasher. Now, you and I as horror fans know that, that that's not true. But it was the first really big, widespread slasher film. But it is the one that gave us a lot of the tropes that we saw in future slasher movies and future horror and that they spoof in Scream. Yeah, exactly. So, Nick, let me just preface all of this by saying, you know what? Mistakes were made. Mistakes were made. That's of the, course. That's just all there is to it. Now, Don pointed out things for me to watch for. And she pointed out different times when there was like... um the, the shadow of a camera or a cameraman or somebody sort of hiding off here, you'd really have to pause and and really look for that. Um, so there's numerous ones for that. I didn't focus on that, though. I just focused on problems with the script itself and how things were basically shot. Can I, can I take a second to just talk about that, though, just for a minute? Because if you look at film now versus film back then... It would have been very difficult in the VHS days to find those mistakes. But now you have DVD, you have Blu-ray, and you can basically just do a still on your TV and you can see those mistakes, which is just an interesting little point I wanted to bring up. Yeah, and Don is probably a bigger Halloween fan than I am, if you can imagine. Wow. That. She has everything. And, you know, I just want to say to Don, too, like, you know, how much I love when we chat. Um, she She's become a really good friend for me, and I, I really, really am enjoying all the interactions that she and I have. 
so let's let's just start. Yes, you can see the shadow of a cameraman, but let's start at the, the beginning. I can't fault the introduction. The introduction into Halloween is is beautiful with the score and starring Donald Pleasance and all of that kind of stuff. There's there's absolutely nothing wrong with the introduction. However, the problems, the mistakes start right away. So we all know that that opening scene, um, we now know it's it's Michael, but Michael is like an eight-year-old boy or something like that. And we see that shot outside of the Myers house. We pan in and there's Judith and her boyfriend making out on the couch. And he asks, are we alone? And she says, well, Michael's around here somewhere. And they go upstairs to basically do what horny teenagers do. And we see that shot going around the house, the killer getting in the house, the killer going up the stairs to kill Judith. We're all familiar with that. Nick, I timed it. Oh, man. (laughs) I timed it. Now, this is approximate because if you timed it with a stopwatch or you timed it by counting or whatever, you would probably have some slight variations. But this is approximate. So, from the time that Judith and her boyfriend decide that they are going to go upstairs, they go up the stairs, get undressed, knock boots, and have him come down again, all while that shot of the killer is going through the kitchen and grabbing the knife, takes exactly, or approximately, however you want to put it, one minute and 17 seconds. Poor Judith. Poor Judith indeed. Because maybe this was her first foray into it. Who knows? What a disappointment. You can't get up the stairs and naked and in bed in that kind of time. So, there we go. So, this is just setting up some of the problems that we have with Halloween, which is the time frame. Well, yeah. Like, we've discussed that privately before. Like, the the whole idea of the fastest sunset ever and stuff like that. Yeah, and I'll, I'll get to that. It's there because it gets worse than just the timing of it. So Michael kills Judith. Yay. We see him put the mask and the the knife. We still don't know it's a little boy. Down the stairs he goes. Out the door. Up pull Mr. and Mrs. Myers. Michael's parents. Judith's parents. And the father comes out and says, Michael? And the parents just stand there staring at their eight-year-old son holding a bloody knife. And say nothing and do nothing else. You you would think there would be at least some sense of urgency in that type of situation. Like, Like somebody should go in and see if Judith is okay, maybe? Like, why does their eight-year-old son, why is he suddenly staring off into space comatose with a bloody knife? And they're just going to go, well, you're going to say anything there, little boy? What's the deal? I don't know. Don't know what to say about that. Yeah. Other than worst parents ever they're up there they're definitely up there now now here's one of the problems with the original cut of halloween which most people do get to see when halloween played on television they it was actually had too short of a runtime so they actually had to go back and film some other scenes now one scene particular happens between linda and laurie that's a garbage scene you're better off without it But I'm going to pick, the reason I bring it up is because I'm going to pick on something. They had a scene with Dr. Loomis talking to other psychiatrists and the board at Smith's Grove's hospital. And then he goes back into 
Michael's room and he says, you fooled them, Michael, but you haven't fooled me. That scene, which you did as an afterthought, needs to be in the movie. Because here's what happens. We go from that scene with the Myers just staring at Michael, and all of a sudden we go to uh, Dr. Loomis in the car with Nurse Marion, and we haven't got a freaking clue who this dude is. Yeah, that's true. There is no real introduction for him there, is there? No, and he just sits there and goes, you ever done anything like this before? As she smokes a cigarette? Nah, I don't know. Whatever. You know, who cares? (laughs) But... There's just there's nothing, and you're just left with going. Who who are these people now? Who are these people? Have yeah. no clue. So it's a serious problem that the 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 problem of putting it on national television fixed. Yeah, yeah. You, you might say there's a, a script problem in the beginning, but yeah, you're right. That did fix that. It, That's a scene I've actually not seen before, though. The uh, the the one for television. Uh, you have to get it on an extended cut. Oh, okay. You know, All right. And All right. it'll have the, you'll be able to watch it with the television scenes. Like I said, the scene between Lori and Annie that was kind of added in there, just kind of give PJ Souls a little extra time, I guess, is garbage and not really worth having in there. But definitely that scene in Smith's Grove's Institute, which sets up all of it and sets up who Dr. Loomis is, should have been in the movie. I'd agree with that. Now, this brings back that wonderful moment that we have been asking ourselves since 1978. Who taught Michael how to drive? This has always been something I've laughed at with this movie. Again, I love the first Halloween movie. I love them in general. But this has always been it. Who taught him how to drive? And don't they actually ask that in the movie? Well, they don't They don't ask it. I mean, the scene after Michael escapes, they talk about it, where um, he says, well, you can't drive a car and... Loomis says, well, he was doing very well last night. Right, 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 right. That's it. That's it. So, I mean, who taught Michael how to drive? At this point, we're not looking into the future for any of the um, sequels that might kind of answer that because you could sort of make the argument that uh, Dr. Quinn taught him how to drive, you know, or something I suppose. like that. But that's, that gets into theory. Yeah. You know, so we, we have no idea who taught Michael how to drive, but he did very well last night. But when he breaks into the car with Nurse Mary, you can see the wrench in the stuntman's hand. Yeah, you can. And they they try to fog it out, but, you know, it's like, oh, okay, so Michael's maybe not as strong as we think he is. There's a wrench, and that's how he's breaking the window. Um, They did the best they could to cover that. That's my defense on that. But, I mean, if again, if you're watching these things and you're not watching for these things, you're not necessarily going to see it. Well, exactly. And at the end of the day, I mean, what type of budget were we dealing with? I mean, something like that is actually a really ingenious way of pulling off a yeah. stunt like that. And, you know, when we get when we talk about that extended scene that is so necessary to set up Dr. Loomis, it sets up his line very, very well, where Michael has stolen the car. Marion's on the ground. He says, are you OK? She says, yes, I'm fine. And then he says, he's gone. He's gone from here. The evil is gone. He's gone. He's gone from here. The evil is gone. That line makes no sense without that extended scene. Yeah, it just seems like he's a stark, raving, mad lunatic. And I mean Loomis, not Michael. Yeah, exactly. It just doesn't fit without that. So, let's get into it. Michael's now escaped. Yay! You know, I know that we're dealing with global warming and climate change and all of that. We weren't really thinking about that back in 1978, let me tell you. So it's a particularly late tree-turning color 
October in Illinois as all the trees are full of green leaves. To be fair, it was filmed in California. California is substituting for Illinois at this point. Gotcha. But the thing is, you want me to criticize this movie. Yep. It's supposed to be yep. okay. October 31st in Illinois. There are no leaves on the trees whatsoever at this point. That's true. And it, it is interesting watching even Halloween against any of the other Halloween movies because they all, all the other Halloween movies do look like Halloween. You watch it against something like Trick or Treat. Trick or Treat, um, uh, even um, Hocus Pocus, those all look like they take place in Halloween. Yeah. Now, they did a good job in the fact that they threw some leaves, they imported some leaves somewhere, and they had leaves falling to give you that idea. But it's just those wide shots of all these trees that are just like not turned in color and just full of of green leaves. It's like, wow, what a particularly uh, sad and warm time for Illinois that their leaves don't turn until, I don't know, the homecoming dance on November 1st. <laughs> They had, like, a huge heat wave that summer. I guess so. Or that fall. Now, Lori, when we're first introduced to Lori, she's leaving her house, and her dad is, you know, uh, of Strode Realty, Lori Strode, Strode Realty, asks her to drop the keys off uh, at the Myers house, because he has people going to the house at 10.30 to go through the house and look at it. Right. Nick, where's Michael at this point? Oh, geez. Um, is it, he's probably still outside of, uh, no, no, no. Where, where is he at this point? He's in the house. Oh, he is in the house at this point. He is in the house. So there are people who are going to look at the Myers house at 1030. And did Michael like go out for a coffee and donut or something? Like, I don't know. Um, like, I guess the assumption is that he started following Lori all of that time. I guess. But we don't really see that. We see no. we see him come out, and he's watching her walk away. He has no idea where he's going. So I guess we're just left with the assumption that he followed her. Now, that would be okay if he wasn't using the car that he doesn't know how to drive. Yeah, he gets a really good handle on that thing really he quickly, does. doesn't he? Oh, and Lori, just as I mentioned the, the leaves, Lori passes a beautiful yellow rose bush that is in full bloom on October 31st. <laughs> so, now we're, we're, uh, we're going to jump in time. Woohoo! Well, real fast. It's now the afternoon. <laughs> the, kid, the kids just left for school, but it's now sometime in the afternoon. Right. And, you know, to be... F now, thinking about it, movies will move forward in time yes but there's usually something that allows us to understand there's a jump forward in time yeah there isn't okay Lori's english teacher clearly is not enthused about her job that is the most boring ass voice i have ever heard uh, and I think, I think, was it Deborah Hill that voiced her? I have no idea. I don't know that little bit of trivia. I'm not sure. I'm not sure on that. But I mean, it's like, wow, if I had a teacher like that, I probably would have failed. You know, this just reminds me of Bueller. Bueller. Yes. Bueller. Yes, it does. Good old Ben Stein. Uh, so when Lori first sees Michael out the window of her classroom, Michael is wearing the mask. He's got mm -hmm. the shape mask all right. Yeah. He's got it already. So I want you to bear in mind 
when did he get it? We're going to get to this a little bit later. When did he get the mask? So if I sound a little flustered, it's because the timing of this does your head in. When you really start and think about how the time of it all works, it, it just gives you a headache. Because nobody in Haddonfield notices a Smith Grove hospital car just roaming the streets. I mean, there could be reasons for it roaming the streets. I don't know what those would be, but yeah, that is... I'm, I'm <sighs> asking you to remember this. This isn't okay. a huge critical point. I'm just asking you to remember it because it's going to come into play later. So, we jump over from Lori's school. It's, it's creepy. She's seeing the shape out there. To Tommy's school, where it's now 3 or 3.30, because that's about when kids get out of school. Yeah. Where did Tommy get the damn pumpkin from? He's leaving school with this big-ass pumpkin. Where did he get it from? He didn't take it to school with him. We saw that earlier when he meets Lori on the way to the Myers house. Where did he get the pumpkin from? I know it's a small point, but you have to ask yourself. All the other kids are just leaving in their costumes. They're having a good time. But Tommy, he decided to honk the classroom pumpkin. It really does seem like that, doesn't it? You know, you'd think the teacher who paid for it would have taken it with him or her. Yeah. Or maybe she gave it to Tommy. I don't know. But it's just a question that popped into my mind. Where did he get the pumpkin from? And that is a fair question. Like, it, it is little things like that that kind of break the movie. Right. So, Michael, we assume Michael followed Laurie to the high school. I guess I can say that Haddonfield's so small that they have a high school and they have a public school. So, Michael would know where the public school is. But why is he so interested in Tommy at this point? That is never a point that's brought up at all. Yeah, th there's just... It doesn't make any sense that he would be interested in really any of them, to be honest with you. Like, okay, I get it from an atmosphere building standpoint. I understand that. But from a story standpoint, it just, yeah, you're right. It doesn't make a lick of sense. So we now see that it is about 3 or 3.30, which begs the question, how far is Smith Grove from Haddonfield? Because now we're going back to Dr. Loomis. Yeah. Dr. Loomis discovers the tow truck. That has the dead tow truck driver and where Michael got his coveralls from. Right. We can assume that. We know that. That's not a problem. But it's 3 or 3.30 at that point. Right. Now, Dr. Loomis was on the phone to somebody warning them. I assume it would be Sheriff Brackett and the police. That makes sense. And yet later on, when he meets Sheriff Brackett, Sheriff Brackett says, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I've never noticed that before. Yeah. I never really. Uh, yeah. It's kind of interesting. So, the thing is, Michael's driving a car. How did he get the tow truck driver from Phelps' garage? Did he run him off the road? Did he fake that his car had broken down? Did the car break down? Because there's a phone booth right there. Did Michael break his silence and say, Hey, I need a tow truck. Bring some guy about the same size as me so I can get some coveralls. <laughs> oh, you know what you just reminded me of? The scene from, I think it's Return to the Living Dead, where the zombies, like, bring more cops and then just keep eating the cops as they yeah. come in. <laughs> but, like, that's the thing, though. Like, how, how did that happen? What was the ridiculousness of that? I mean, I guess, theoretically, Michael could have stopped in the side of the road and then a tow truck driver just happened to okay. happen by. So, a tow truck driver happens by. Michael gets out to pee, let's say. <laughs> He's wearing... 
he's wearing his his ever so 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 haute couture garment from the mental hospital. You really think the tow truck driver's gonna stop for that? Tow truck driver's gonna be like, and I've had enough of this. I mean, I'm out. Like, I it just it makes zero sense. It's a creepy scene. It's a wonderful scene. It's it's great, but it's like how how. Yeah. How? And, and there's a lot of how, when, uh, why, I, I don't understand when you really stop and, and analyze the movie instead of actually just sitting back and enjoying it. So right now, my main takeaway so far is that Halloween suffers from a rampant case of it's in the scriptitis. It does. And I think it also suffers from uh, we're young filmmakers we got donald pleasance in our movie this would be neat if we did this itis yeah so carrying on how did michael know where the girls were walking when he was driving in the opposite direction you remember that wonderful moment where the three girls are walking there's annie there's linda there's laurie yeah laurie is feeling like you know something's off today not sure what it is she's a shy girl she's a nice girl whatever linda and, and Annie are chirping at each other as they do and he drives by and he's driving by at a pretty good pace and Annie yells out hey jerk speed kills and he slams on the brakes Michael is driving the opposite direction Mm -hmm. to which the girls are walking yep yet somehow he knows to get around them and in front of them because like they're not crossing the street or anything which they do by the way (laughs) so he knows exactly where they are going so he can get ahead of them and hide in the bush. Right. So he's clairvoyant, I guess. I, oh, oh, you're actually killing this for me. (laughs) (laughs) So we can assume that Michael is following Lori, but even still, how? How? And not only that, this is another problem, which we'll get to later. You this is what I mean. You have to, it goes back and forth, back and forth because the bushes that Michael is hiding in happens to be the next door neighbor of the brackets. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting because, um, Sheriff Brackett comes home. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you know that we get that wonderful, hey, it's Halloween. Everyone's entitled to a good scare. He's done for the day, one would assume. Okay? Like, he had his shift, 7 to 3, whatever. Yeah. He's, he's done for the day. <laughs> Keep that in mind, faithful aliens, because this is really hard to make sense of because it goes back and forth, back and forth, round and round and round we go. It's like bobbing for apples. <laughs> so... Michael then sort of disappears, and Laurie's like, okay, the dude was hiding in the bushes. I'm a little creeped out, whatever. She goes into her room. She goes upstairs, and Michael is in the neighbor's backyard, as it comes to find out. It looks like her backyard, but the yeah. neighbor's backyard. So this speaks again to Michael Myers is clairvoyant. How does he know which room is hers to stare at? That's actually a really good question. Like, is he just... Is he just in the backyard staring at windows until until she notices him? Just random windows? Yeah, and you know, apparently in Haddonfield, they start trick-or-treating at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, okay. They, they, they start really damn early there because 
Lori sees these trick-or-treaters and, you know, it's like, do they start trick-or-treating really early in Haddonfield or, or is it pretty bright? And, and like, and here's the thing. Remember I said about Tommy, right? Right. And Tommy is, uh, he meets Lori on his way to school uh, as she's on her way to school Mm -hmm. to the Myers house. So you have to understand that because (sighs) Tommy's house can't be that far away. No, I wouldn't think so. So why is Annie picking them up? Why is Annie picking up Lori in the car to drive a block away? Also fair enough. This is important because... (laughs) Why are they leaving so damn early to babysit? Again, fair enough. Like, uh, in real life, it's not unusual to see kids trick-or-treating early in the night. But we're talking small kids yeah but, toddlers but we're also not talking four in the afternoon it's usually still around yeah. five maybe six yeah you know like uh with with this movie it does seem like the kids went home after school put their costumes on and went right out the door yeah so we're well they were wearing them at school yeah and they just you know mom says yeah let's go trick-or-treating nobody's home but let's go because <laughs> people are still at work yeah people are still at work they're not ready for it so we can assume it's about four four thirty, right? So now Doctor Loomis shows up in the cemetery, and this is something that Don pointed out to me. Hey, nice palm trees you got there in Illinois. So Doctor Loomis goes from Smith Grove to Haddonfield, the same trip that Old Mikey's taken, and has done it in probably about. Ten times the amount of time it took Michael to get there. Oh, Michael was just speeding. He was just okay. He fair. wanted he wanted to get home. <laughs> Loomis saw no danger whatsoever. Stopped for coffee. Took a couple whizzes. You know, bought a souvenir at a roadside stand. Stopped to make a payphone call to we assume is the sheriff's station, but Brackett knows nothing about it. Discovers a dead body. I mean, the man was busy, Nick. So so Michael was uh was on his way to see the newest episode of BJ and the Bear, and that's why he had. Um, beating Loomis there in such quick time. He was peeing in a pop bottle and throwing it out the window. What can <laughs> I? Th- what can I tell you? <laughs> so back to the graveyard, we find that it's Judith's tombstone that is missing. Well, he yanked that tombstone up pretty neatly. That's okay. a nice neat hole that was left for that thing. So let let's talk about that for a second because this has actually been a point of contention for me. A tombstone is made of solid marble rock. It's heavy. Typically, solid marble rock. And they are heavy. And we've seen Judas. Well, we see the the tombstone later on. We'll get to that. It's big. Yeah. How did he hoist that thing out by himself? One, without being noticed. And two, I mean, I imagine he got it and loaded it into the car. Well, at this point, we haven't even gotten into the whole idea of Michael having supernatural strength. Yeah, exactly. He's a dude. Like, this was supposed to be called the babysitter murders. Yeah. Like, he's a dude. He's a big dude, but he's a dude. He's not supposed to be able to... He's not even that big of a dude in this. Yeah, true. Like, he was... The shape was Nick Castle. The face of 23-year-old Michael is Tony Moran. Right. You know? Um, So, he's not even, like... It's not like Tyler Maine in the Rob Zombie remake fair enough you know so i mean like i could see tyler main doing it i can't quite see nick castle doing it no but nonetheless no matter how he got that tombstone up he did it very neatly (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, he looks like he just like carved it right out of the ground. And nobody noticed. No. <laughs> nobody noticed. So, let's go back to the fact that the girls apparently are just driving around town because Tommy and Lindsay live like in the same neighborhood they just left. Annie is literally a couple doors down from Lori. Right. You know, they live in the same neighborhood as the Myers house. Yep. They all do. All of them. So. I would say just given, like, given everything, they're probably within a block. Yeah. Maybe block and a half of the Myers house. Yeah. So here's the thing. Um, We know that Halloween sets up that whole lore in horror movies where the devil is coming to get its due. You're sinners, right? Yep. So this is back in the 70s, you have to remember. So the promiscuous sex, the drug use, the underage drinking, all of that stuff, you know, it all counts towards the devil coming for its due. Because it's a more, it's a tale of morality at this point, right? Mm -hmm. So this is why Lori doesn't get killed, but why Lori suffers, because she takes a smoke of the joint, but she doesn't like it. Yeah. Okay. I'm just bringing that up just as as a, a neat little aside. So we all know that they see Sheriff Brackett, who has already home from work, but whatever. <laughs> and she says, oh, my God, like, get rid of this. Assuming it's pot. Could have been a cigarette, but assuming it's pot. So Sheriff Brackett clearly has no sense of smell. Yep. Either that or he's like, yeah, yeah, kids, I'm the sheriff. I'm not going to arrest my own daughter. Not going to arrest her cute in the right light friend. Like, I just, I don't get it. I don't get why he wouldn't be a little, something on his face, something on Charles Cypher's face that went, okay, you're not getting away with this, but I got bigger fish to fry because this hardware store has been broken into. Well, the, the two most likely things here is that Sheriff Brackett, well, actually three most likely things. As you said, he's not going to arrest his daughter and his daughter's friend. Or he had a really early onset case of COVID, or the most, li- <laughs> <laughs> or the most likely culprit is John Carpenter. Is like, yeah, we're trying to make a movie real quick here, so don't, don't, we don't have time for you to react to this. Yeah, so just, well, just who, go, go, I, go, go, I don't go. Even, not, Nick, you're giving it more thought than I think they gave it. Fair. I fair. don't think that was even part of it. So uh, COVID then. <laughs> so again, Sheriff Brackett went home. Assumably, he's done for the day. You know, or maybe he's taken, someone will argue with me. Don't come for me. This is the challenge. Maybe he went home on his break to check on Annie because she's coming home. For But for whatever reason, he's home. It's important to understand this because just how long has that alarm been going off at the hardware store? Because Michael, you will remember, has the shape mask earlier in the afternoon. So that alarm, going by what we know, that alarm has been going for at a minimum, a very minimum, three hours. No, it hasn't. No. No, it hasn't. Because the the hardware store would have been open. But this is my point. Earlier on, in the middle of the afternoon, in the school, Lori sees Michael with the shape mask. Yes. Which means he already has it. Yep. The hardware store would have closed around 5 o'clock. It's still pretty bright out for 5 o'clock, folks. And what does Sheriff Brackett tell us? It was kids. Oh, there's my old man saying it's kids again. Well, they only took some masks and a rope. What would you say? Well, in order for the hardware store to have been broken into, it had to have been closed. 
This is a weekday. It's probably Friday because, you know, the homecoming dance is the next day and people are going off partying or whatever, right? So we can assume that it's this particular Halloween takes place on a Friday night. Yeah. So the hardware store would close around 5 o'clock. So in order for it to be broken into, it would have to be closed. Michael already has the mask. This is a mess. This is actually messy. It is messy. Of course it's messy. So, now we're, now we're getting into the fastest sunset in America. It's really bright when Dr. Loomis first meets Sheriff Brackett outside yeah. that hardware store. And Michael drives behind him and he doesn't notice him. Great. I'll buy that. But it start, the sun starts setting as Lori and, and Annie are driving around to where I don't know because their babysitting gigs are a block away from where they live. And it gets dark. Just boom, dark. Yeah. It, it's like, there's this comic that I used to read called Bone. And it's about little cartoon skeletons. Now, they're in the, in the first issues, they're, talk, they're telling Bone about how winter comes really quickly. And at the end of the issue, Bone just sits down at a tree and is like, Man, when does winter come? And then just a giant giant blanket of snow falls from the sky and hits the ground. And then it's winter. And I feel like that's how nightfall happens in Haddonfield. It does. It, it We see that. And and again, like these girls are just driving around damelessly because, you know, they could walk to where they have to babysit. So I don't really get it. I mean, gas was cheap back then. So yeah, it really was. So they pull up a block from where they, they left. <laughs> you know, Lindsay... The parent, you have to listen to the dialogue very closely because it's kind of that muffled dialogue. It's throwaway lines. It's whatever, right? Not that important. But the father says to make sure Lindsay's in bed by nine o'clock. Again, important to the timing. So if Lindsay's supposed to be in bed by nine, and this is before they changed the uh, time. So, I mean, it got darker earlier. It was probably around six o'clock. Things started getting dark back then. I'm trying to remember. So... We will assume that the parents are leaving at about 6.30 or 7 o'clock. So why are Lindsay and Tommy now trick-or-treating? And who took them at at 4, 4.30, I guess? Fair. I mean, it's just like, it's like worst parents ever. It's like, yeah, we're going out to have fun and we're going to leave you with the worst babysitter ever and you don't get to go trick-or-treating. It really does seem like that. It does seem like that, yeah. Oh. So so I'm skipping ahead here a little bit. Um, we now flash back to the Myers house. Right. So, you know, Dr. Loomis and Sheriff Brackett go into the Myers house. And we find the dead dog. We don't see the dead dog because the budget wasn't there. We blew it on Donald Pleasance. <laughs> they, they make reference to the dead dog in the Myers house. And... Loomis says he must have gotten hungry. Whatever. Um, don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> <laughs> so we got the dead dog in the Myers house, and it's still warm. I'm sorry, didn't you just have us buy into the fact that Michael has been following these girls, driving around? That dog would not be warm. Uh, Mike, no. Michael did not just kill that dog. Yeah. 
And obviously he didn't kill it, you know, prior to 1030 in the morning. <laughs> I guess people went through with the real estate agent and found nothing. So, inconsistent. The dead dog comes with the house. Yes. Uh, free of charge. It's factored into the price. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it couldn't really, like, Michael's following the girls. So, that that it's not warm. <sighs> and again, just a block or two from their neighborhood. So, Sheriff Brackett then says, well, it could have been a skunk. Now, Nick, I had to look this up. Okay. I had to look it up to see if a skunk could straight up just murk a dog. And can it? Yes and no. Yes and no. Okay, continue. Apparently, if a if skunk spray can be very toxic, and there is a case, one case, that I was able to found where a dog died because the skunk sprayed it. Okay. But that's not what they're implying here. Yeah, like a skunk cannot they're, they're maul implying, a dog to death. Yeah, that's what they're implying. They're implying that Pepe Le Pew just straight up murked this neighborhood dog. Like, <laughs> apparently it, it's it's about as vicious as a wolverine. So, if nitpicky perhaps, to be I don't know. F- no, it's not. I will say that is not nitpicky because if a, if a skunk could do that, it wouldn't have to spray that stuff out of its bum. Okay, so... Great thing that we're great thing haha, that we're talking about. We know that John Carpenter loved this movie and he did a remake of it. The thing, the thing from another world is playing on television. That's what the children are watching. We can assume that it's about 8 p.m. when the thing comes on. This goes back to proving that Annie Brackett is the worst babysitter ever. Because didn't her dad just say that Lindsay had to be in bed by 9 o'clock? Yeah, he did. Right. So, let's assume that the thing starts at 8 o'clock. Right. All right? I looked up the running time of the thing. It's an hour 27. Right. It's playing on television. There's commercials. Now, I'm not the best at math, Nick, but that puts this thing at 9.30 or Probably, more. yeah. So Annie's just like, yeah, I don't care what your dad said, stay up. Who gives a crap? Yep. You know? And then, and of course, she's just going to abandon her charge so she can go have sex with her boyfriend. She really is the worst babysitter. Yeah, like, I, I mean, like, Lori brings a, a pumpkin to carve into a jack-o'-lantern with Tommy, and she's got all kinds of great rapport with them, and She's like, ah, Lindsay, watch whatever horror movies on TV. I don't give a crap what you do. Right. At least she's making her some popcorn. So, I mean. Well, that is nice of her. Yeah. She spills everything on her, which means that she has to wash her clothes, which brings me to my point. Who has a tiny house in their backyard just to do laundry? Well, apparently Lindsay's parents. Like, it's the weirdest thing ever. Wait, is she watching them? Yeah, they're watching. He's She's watching Lindsay at Lindsay's place, right? Yeah. yeah okay. She's at the Wallace's house. So apparently Mrs. Wallace likes to yank all the clothes out to the the backyard tiny house to wash the do the washing. There's there's no basement in this house to put the washer and dryer? Well, let's talk about that for a second. So again, we can go back to the fact that it's California. We know that. But here's the thing, if we're trying to make this look like Illinois, it snows in Illinois. Yes, that's my point. Very much. That is my point. It is supposed to be in Illinois. I you're right. I could see it in California. But even then, why would you want to make yourself have extra work of yanking all the laundry out to another house? Yeah. I don't know. 
it's it's there for convenience. It's there for no reason. It's there just so that we can have Annie get stuck in there and Michael kind of stalk around her, I guess. It's in the script. It's in the script. So, on that point, I thought, well, maybe this is part of the garage. But the garage isn't even attached to the house. That would make sense if the garage was attached to the house. Yeah. But it's not. So, even if it's part of the garage, it still makes no sense to me. But what also doesn't make any sense to me is Annie pulls her car up and she parks it in this one car garage. Her car is in this one car garage. Where was the Wallace's car? Fair. Their car would have been in the garage. Annie would have had to park on the street. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, it's just, it's the devil's in the details. It's just stuff like that. It just, as as an actor, as a director, as whatever, it bothers me. Well, as a storyteller and as someone it, who is detail-oriented, it's difficult. Now, Nick, this, this one, I, I, I cringe to even bring up. Okay. I cringe at it. Cringe away. What's going on? I suppose this gets back to the credence of the devil coming for his due. Linda and Bob straight up deserve to be murked. This is a problematic line. I know it's supposed to be a joke. I know it's supposed to be dark. I know it's supposed to set up oh, the fact no. that you don't mind Bob getting killed. I know exactly what the line you're talking about. I'm not going to mention the line. Aliens, go watch the movie. Once you get to this part, you'll know the line we're talking about if you already don't know it. But, I mean, you... Like, I know the 70s were a different time. I lived in them. This is straight up some dark stuff that shouldn't be in there. And I, I, I realize I'm looking at it from a 2022 lens. Well... But even back then, man. I mean, here's the thing. Was it meant to be a throwaway joke, or, or is this character actually being painted as a POS? I don't know. It's kind of a throwaway joke, but the fact of the matter is that he... He does it very sarcastically, so I'm sure it's meant to be a throwaway joke. But it still makes him a really lousy person for saying the joke a in the first place. A dirtbag. Yeah, and Linda is no better because she's like, totally. Oh. And then they go off underage drinking beer and making out and having sex in somebody else's house. In somebody else's bed. In the Wallace's bed. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not even there, so they basically broke into the Wallace's house to have sex. It sounds about right. Sounds like uh, an Illinois thing to me. Which makes me wonder if, because Linda's line is, Lindsay's gone for the night. Yeah. So apparently the Wallaces are too. So, Seems that so way, was yeah. Annie doing like a, 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 a an overnight babysit? Because cha-ching. Yeah. You know, that's really never brought up, but. So let's get to the second fastest sex in the world. And it's it's really kind of campy and corny, kind of watching how they romp together in this in the sack. Does not take a long time, let me tell you. Um, so Bob is clearly a marksman. <laughs> Has no problem getting in. And <laughs> not 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 one. Not one problem. And then Linda has the line. 
fantastic. I can tell you, Nick, in, in my 53 years on the planet, if I had ever given any of my ex-girlfriends uh, a time in the sack like that, they would not have responded with fantastic. Probably would more like get out. <laughs> Just leave. So, of course, now we're getting into one of the classic scenes that I'm going to ruin for all of you. Oh, no. The classic scene where Bob discovers Michael Myers. And Michael Myers chokes him against the wall or the door of the pantry. It's so dark, it's kind of hard to tell. I think it's the door of the pantry, honestly. Yeah. And he lifts him up. And he takes that big butcher knife. And he stabs him in the chest with that big butcher knife and leaves him hanging there, changing his name from Bob to Art. Now, here's the thing, Nick. I'm watching this. I'm seeing half the knife sticking out of his chest. Now, I worked in home health care, but I'm not a doctor. I didn't really fully study anatomy. What's actually holding Bob up? Because that knife did not go through Bob into the wood. I think the inference, John, is that the knife has held him up. But you are right. That knife would not... Even if it went through him into the wood... It's impossible. No, it would have to be like a machete before it starts holding him up. And that's Jason's gig. It is. Now, that has always been a problem for me as well. Because you notice that. You notice the butcher knife is not all the way in, for lack of a better term. And... It looks it looks hokey and it looks kind of phony. Yeah. But it's great. <laughs> I still love the scene. It's great. So now he goes up in that other classic scene where Michael is wearing the sheet and he's got Bob's glasses on his face. And he chokes Linda. And he chokes Linda with a telephone cord. Yeah. Nick, I know why Hollywood does this. I absolutely know why they do this. If Linda is being choked out by a telephone telephone cord like that, she can't breathe. She can't utter a sound. Right. And what we get is a throwback to her and Bob in the sack just moments before. Yeah, making gurgling, moaning noises. Yeah. Yeah. And they are campy as all get up. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I, I mean, one of the things I've I've learned about death scenes in horror movies, which is a weird, really niche thing to learn about if you think about it, but um, listening to Tom Savini, one thing I've learned is that a lot of people that um, that do these types of scenes, oh, even even in Return of the King, even in Lord of the Rings. A lot of people don't know the sounds or don't know how people die. We have these ideas about the sounds and the way people die, but we don't really know. Like, um, one of the things I learned from Tom Savini, when somebody dies, their mouth is left gaping open. It's horrifying, but you don't really see that in movies. Or with um, Return of the King, Christopher Lee actually told Peter Jackson the sound a man makes when he's stabbed in the back and he and he did that sound when he's stabbed in the back christopher lee has an interesting background yes christopher that, lee has either stabbed someone in the back or been stabbed in the back he has absolutely stabbed someone in the back 
the dude was a spy during World War Two. It's amazing. Anyway, we're yeah. off, to- anyway, we're, off topic. We're, but... You are you are taking us way way off topic. From Haddonfield to Middle Earth. Anyway, continue. <laughs> so again, I'm harping on the time for a reason. Okay, so Laurie puts Lindsay and Tommy to bed. The thing is over with. They've had their popcorn. They've carved a jack o' lantern really late in the day because you know who's coming around now. Um, and she's put the kids to bed and they're asleep. So we can assume with everything that it is about 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, that's always where I've thought that movie was at that point. It's important to know this for later. While we're on that subject, as I said, the Wallaces, the Doyles, Laurie Strode, the Brackets, and Linda all live within the same neighborhood. Yes. I believe we have established In that. fact, they live down the street from the Myers house. Because where is Dr. Loomis camped out when he says, Hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. <laughs> He's outside of the Myers house. Yeah. At this point, he has been there since for a good three hours. Been there a yeah. good three hours. He's a patient man. He's a patient he's man. He's patient for he's his also, patience. He's also thick as a brick. Uh-huh. Because it took him three hours to notice the Smith Grove car less than a few doors down. (laughs) Less than a block away. And he goes off looking for Michael. So now we get into that wonderful tableau. This is where it starts to get a little bit harder to criticize the the movie because we're getting into the third act, which yeah. is really quite spectacular. So Laurie is wondering what's going on. Now, here's, here's just a sidebar, which actually makes the new trilogy work so well as a direct sequel from this movie. Right. If Laurie had stayed in the Doyle's house, she never would have encountered Michael because he was just camping out there in the Wallace's house. Yeah. So she goes over to investigate, which is why she gets into trouble. Well, so she, you know what I said about curiosity, yeah. right? So she sees that wonderful tableau. It's a beautiful scene. I love the scene. But it begs the question, getting back to Judith's tombstone, where was Michael hiding that? How did he get it? To the second level of a house. No, no, no. That's not even the point. We can assume he had it in the car. Okay, so Loomis didn't notice him going to the car and honking out a tombstone and eating it up a flight of stairs into the house? Where was he hiding that? Never mind Loomis. There's other houses around the area. The trick-or-treaters. The trick-or-treaters that were still out. But my point still stands. How did he get that up the stairs? Who cares? I do. Where was he hiding it? Where, was it under the bed? Did he tuck it in his back pocket? Was it in the, the tiny laundry house? Where did he hide that thing? It was under the bed. Makes uh, the most sense. So, Laurie is freaking out. She goes out in the hall. I, I I buy everything that she's doing. I buy every choice Jamie Lee Curtis is making as an actress. She's in shock. I buy it. What I don't buy is Michael sneaking up on Laurie, and he's going to stab her. And he misses like a stormtrooper from Star Wars and gets her arm. She doesn't move. No. She doesn't you're right. flinch. He just does this nice little slice on the arm. Because it's like, hey, I'm here. Ha <laughs> ha. I'm not going to kill you just yet. 
He's playing with his food. It may no, that's not his style. I know, I he would know. just have straight up murked her. Yeah, she'd be dead. And then she falls over the stair railing down the stairs as if that doesn't kill her. I will buy the adrenaline. Okay, got to suspend disbelief. She gets up and she's like, yeah, I'm out of here. Not the least bit dazed, not the least bit phased. I have fallen from lesser heights and not moved. It's in the script, John, you see. Well, of course it's in the script, but you know, it's fine. And she doesn't cut herself when she breaks the pane on the French door that leads outside. Yeah, that's true. She doesn't. You can tell it's plastic. Inexplicably. Now... Dr. Loomis, as we know, has gone in search of Michael. How far could he have actually gotten once he notices the car that's sitting right there? (laughs) How far could he have gotten? Not far. Not very far at all. It tells us that he, later on, some dialogue between him and Brackett, he tells us he's three blocks away. Coming from a small town. Why is he three? Coming, you'll understand my point. You and I both come from a small town. The older parts of town, don't forget, this is 1978. The older parts of town, the blocks aren't that big. Okay? So, he's three blocks away. Fine. Buy it. Not a problem. He doesn't hear Lori screaming at the top of her lungs. He doesn't hear that. No? She she is screaming, but good. This is why Jamie Lee Curtis is the original ah, scream queen. He doesn't hear that. He doesn't hear this teenage girl screaming for help. I can tell you, if somebody, where I live, if somebody was on one, two, three streets away, forming the block, I'd hear them. Yeah. I, I mean, would you hear can, them. You can, att- you can attest to that. I mean. He went up the street, just one, two three streets have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and there's a bunch of drunk uh, not a bunch but like a couple drunk guys yelling hey back and forth forth to each other yeah and you don't know where they are but you can tell they're in the vicinity they're not screaming they're just yelling hey it's the same principle here you would hear Lori, even though you can't see where she is you would hear her yeah now at this point the movie once she does the whole the keys the keys and you know wakes up tommy other than the the timing for Michael getting across the street, because the street's not that big. He could have gotten her. Okay, we'll forgive that. It's suspense. From this point on, I can't criticize it because it's pretty flawless. Yeah. However, aliens, this is why I wanted you to remember the timing, because I'm not going into the whole franchise, but I am going to stick my baby toe into Halloween 2. We have established that this is probably now 11 o'clock at night. Right. Give or take. Halloween 2 begins. And everybody's out trick-or-treating like it's 7. That is that is true. That is true. Like, they're still out trick-or-treating. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, so, I mean, we did this little exercise for a reason. It's not to crap on products that we love. Yeah. Because I'm still going to watch it. I'm still going to love it. Uh, none of this is new to me. I know that this is the way it goes. And I'm still going to enjoy the prequel movies for what they are. Yeah, because you have no taste. But <laughs> the, the point is, quite simply, that you can enjoy a product even though it's not perfect. Yeah. You can enjoy a movie that's not perfect. You can enjoy a piece of crap as long as you acknowledge 
it's a piece of crap. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, and I know I've, I use this. Well, okay, let's use, use a different example. The, cr- the Critters movies. I, For the most part, I enjoy the Critters movies. They're not particularly good films, Killer but I enjoy from, them. I Killer enjoy Clowns them. from Outer Space. Alligator. <laughs> like, these movies are fun to watch. It's basically like a sugar rush in film form. They're just a blast, and that's all they are. And a lot of times they don't become problematic until you start engaging your brain and thinking about it, that something sticks out as being a little bit odd. Well, and there's the thing is, like, sometimes sometimes you know you're not going to engage your brain in a movie, like Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I am not going to engage my brain in a movie called Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yeah. The only thing that uh, I find, like, in all the criticisms that I gave of this, the thing that bothers me the most simply is the fact that they all live in the same neighborhood. Dr. Loomis is clearly needs glasses <laughs> and like Annie picking Lori up and like going like, Oh, okay, let's drive around for two hours before we go right back to our neighborhood that we could have walked to to babysit. Really makes no sense. Not really. And, and on that note, aliens, that is all the time that we have for this episode of area 51 and a half. Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. You can find us at the area 51 H. You can find us on Facebook by searching for area 51 and a half. And of course we are available wherever you find your favorite podcast. Yes. Aliens. Thank you for landing your spacecraft with us here this week. And we will see you in two weeks with a new episode. <laughs> Why does everything have to be so problematic? I know. Stuff that you love. No, it's and it, and it does get problematic, especially when it